Please let me add my word of welcome to our visitors. We're very happy that you came to worship with us this morning and hope whenever you have the opportunity that you'll come and be with us again. Please pay close attention to the announcements that were given in the bulletin. And we all want to be praying for Joel Barker as he goes back to Ethiopia this week. Uh, now that our scripture lesson is printed for you uh, there in the bulletin, but what I'm going to do is go back and give you a little bit of the setting for this. This is sort of um, a miracle within a miracle. It's a parenthetical miracle. And it's a, a wonderful thing to see how the Lord could use one occasion uh, to bring about healing to someone else in the way. Uh, he has gone back to the other side of the lake. This is what we want to see. Look at verse, if you have a Bible and you want to follow it there, We'll begin at verse 21, then the bulletin will pick up at verse 25. This is chapter 5 of Mark. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet. And he entreated him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him, and a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years, and it endured much at the hands of many physicians, and it's been all that she had, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I touch his garments, I shall get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately... Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned round in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, there came from the house of the synagogue official, one said, Daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. And they were laughing at him, but putting them all out, 
he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was, and taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Telithi kumi, which translated means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old, and immediately they were completely astonished. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given her to eat. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson he washed it white as snow, for nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Let us all bow in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessed message which we have already heard in song, that Jesus paid it all. We pray that you will help us as we look into the passage of Scripture today that speaks of the of a person who needs his grace and help. 
and also shows us the great compassion of the Savior, and then how we are led to show his love to others by confessing it, that we may be blessed and helped and drawn to thee. And we pray that you will accept these gifts which we bring. Help them to be supervised and guided by the Holy Spirit for no other purpose than to bring glory to the name of our Lord Jesus and health and help and healing and salvation in his name. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Not long ago, I saw on television, and I suppose that you did too, some scenes from Stockholm, Sweden, and all of its grandeur and beauty, showing us the great that is given there when the Nobel Prizes are awarded. As I looked at the televised proceedings of that grand event, I was particularly thankful that some scientists from America were among that group. But then my mind went back as I watched it to something that I had clipped out of a newspaper a long time ago, a British paper at that. It was the story of Dr. Samuel Wakeman, the discoverer of streptomycin. When he received the great Nobel Prize, and all of the preparations were made for him to journey to Stockholm, there began to go through his mind all that was wrapped up in that big event. Alfred Nobel, of course, had been the inventor of dynamite. He thought that he was bringing to the world a great blessing because there was much construction that was underway and there was need for explosive that could conveniently and powerfully be laid and could be for the expansion that was going on in the world. And of course, he became enormously rich. But then he saw that his explosive devices were used to tear and to mutilate men and women and boys and girls. And it hurt him deeply to think that what he thought would be a, a gift was turned in a direction other than that. And so he declared in his will that there would be set up a trust and that those who would be recipients from funds from the Nobel Prize would have it awarded in grand circumstances for benefits that they had brought to mankind. And so when Dr. Selman Wakeman journeyed from the United States to go to Stockholm, he was presented not only with a valuable and beautiful gold medal, he was presented with a big sum of money he was personally welcomed by the king of Sweden, and there was grand fanfare that occurred of the presentation of the parchment inscribing him as a Nobel winner. But the thing that moved me was that a little girl, seven years old, came meekly out of the crowd of distinguished persons that were there and walked across the stage with a bunch of flowers and reached up to Dr. Wakeman. He looked down and received his gift of flowers, for she had been at the point of death, and streptomycin was tried for the first time 
It was attempted on a patient in Europe, on her, and her life was saved. And Dr. Selman, Wakeman, went to the microphone, choked with emotion and tears streaming down his face. And he said it was a grand honor to receive the medal and the welcome of the king. But that the world was what it was all about. That that meant more to him than the big prize itself. And I thought that is the type of nobility that obligates. It means that you sense in a person the gift that you have and you bring it to someone else. And it's a type also, and all of us, by the way, are thankful for those who bring us the blessing of healing. I can remember the most expensive tie that I ever bought in my life. I bought it at the Mayo Clinic and presented it to the Roman Catholic doctor who cut my chest open and operated on my heart. He had big hands and I never could see how he got him in there. And uh, he was very kind to me and he came by the office to, uh, came by the room to see me up there. And so when I got ready to leave in the Kaler Hotel, I went into a, a men's shop and I found what I thought was a gorgeous tie and I took it to him. I wanted to give him some little gift as a token of appreciation uh, for what he had done for me. And I've talked with other physicians and they find this to be the case. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Well, here the Lord Jesus had healed a, a wild, violent demoniac. And the people, instead of being happy that he had healed the man, were distressed that their swine herd had been destroyed. And Jesus had left that place and had gone back across the lake, and now the word has gotten out that Jesus is back there again. And the president of the synagogue, a man of authority, a ruler in his community, has a little girl, 12 years old, who is sick. He loves this child deeply. And he comes to Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet to ask him for the gift of healing for his child. Last Friday evening, you would have been so thankful for the elders in our church when we went to a friend who had requested our presence and sought to anoint the friend with oil and to pray for her and her sickness. Each man had a scripture. Each man had a prayer. Each man placed his hands there. We pray because our hearts are always touched with the needs of our neighbors and our friends. Here, Jesus is touched by this man who comes to him seeking healing for his little child. And so he goes on his way. It's interesting to me that being the president of the synagogue, he would have been a person who would have been on the opposite side from Jesus because the synagogue leaders were often antagonistic to him. But you know you forget all about your antagonism when you want healing and you want it more than anything else in the world. When you're in great pain and great distress, sometimes adversity gives birth to a faith that prosperity and health take away. And so this man in his extremity and his need is willing to doubt what anyone else will say because he wants healing for his little daughter.
Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now here's the miracle within the miracle. He is anxious for Jesus to come. And on their way, there is this woman that I mentioned briefly last week. A woman in the crowd who has what is described here as an issue of blood, a hemorrhage. Today, this could be corrected through surgery. But they didn't have this procedure then. Uh, now, Mark tells us that she had spent all of her money on physicians and was nothing bettered, but rather was made worse. Luke is a doctor, and he omits that detail. Uh, <laughs> I think he has a little more sympathy for the doctors. But some of us have seen this. It's a bad thing to be broke and to spend all your money. And anyone who goes through an expensive illness can certainly sympathize with that. Uh, it's important to have money to live on. And when you've spent it and you're broke, it hurts. But when you're broke and your health is gone too, that hurts even worse. But when you're broke and your health is gone and you don't have any hope, that's terrible. And here Jesus comes to this, this woman comes to him. I started to say that she stole a miracle. Now that's a pretty hard trick, <laughs> to steal a miracle. But that's exactly what takes place. Uh, she comes in through the crowd, and that's why I went back to read the whole section, because Jesus had attracted a great deal of attention. And this brought crowds of people pressing in upon him. The Quaker poet Whittier speaks of this scene in one of his lovely hymns, Immortal Love, uh, Forever Flowing Free. He speaks about the throng and press. And they are thronging and pressing against Jesus. And in that crowd, this woman, who is ceremonially unclean, who because of her condition, any person that touched her would be unclean. Any person that she touched would be unclean. And she slips through the crowd, and she thinks, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. This woman had a imperfect faith, but look how Jesus honors it. She reaches and touches the hem of his garment, and instantly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, she is healed. But in this, Jesus says, somebody touch me. The old Negro spiritual puts it greatly. Somebody touch me. And I love this scene. Peter, who always takes one foot out of his mouth to put another foot in, uh, Peter says, Lord, look at this crowd of people, and you say, who touched me? And Jesus repeats it, somebody touch me. Somebody touch me. He knew that this desperate soul had reached out to touch him. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. And if you tell anybody, tell them not to tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> I don't really care. Uh, I was terribly in pain one time in the hospital. 
and Oral Roberts came on the TV screen. And he said that if you wanted to be healed, to touch the television set. I waited till the nurse got out of the room, and I touched the TV set. Now, I didn't get healed, not that moment anyway. But when you are desperate, you'll touch the TV set. You'll touch it. You'll want the oil placed on your head. You'll want people to pray for you. When you really get hurt, hurting enough, you will. This woman wanted to be healed. She wanted to be healed more than anything else in the world. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. For 12 long years, this terrible hemorrhage had been in her body. For 12 miserable years, she had dealt with it. For 12 miserable years, she wanted to be freed of it. And so she touches Jesus, and instantly she is healed. Now, a little chunk of Isaiah 53, which Mark, the president of our Student Christian Association, read to you a while ago, comes in here. And the other night we read this passage of Scripture, and I think all of us are blessed by it. Isaiah 53 tells us that by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 tells us that he our infirmities. You go to the infirmary when you're sick. This means that something of healing comes in the atonement. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. And this is a type of salvation too. For here is a sinner. Here is a person who, like all of us, are in the condition of being helpless. We cannot save ourselves. We are hopeless without God's help. He must do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so our Savior comes into the world. This is what the angels told the shepherds when he came. This is what his whole life is filled with. And this is what he does. I love this scene. This woman's condition would have kept her from worship. It would have kept her from marriage. It would have isolated her. And here Jesus is going to reverse all of this. And he does it by the touch that heals. Thank God for the touch that heals. Many people touched him. But as far as we know here, only one person was healed. Many people touched him, but only one person was healed. How can you touch Jesus? Mandy's hymn touched me. She sang it in my office the other day, and she'll tell you that this is the strict truth. When she sang it in my office, I cried. I wept because I could hear my mother singing that hymn going about her work in a humble house out in Texas. Jesus paid it all. Wanting her son, at least one of her sons, 
to go into the ministry in the hopes that a life might be dedicated to the Lord. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What a beautiful thing. That's one way to touch him, the touch that heals. Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be healed. Abraham Lincoln said once to his minister, a Presbyterian minister by the name of Gurney in uh, Washington, D.C., that there was one of the Beatitudes he knew that he could qualify for. And it was the one that said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And he said, I do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So, if you came to church hungry and thirsty for God, then you have the blessing of knowing that he made a promise to fill you. He made a promise to give you that which your heart needs. This is what this woman found, and this is how she was touched, and this brought her to him. I remember once um, being in Korea, and I went to that place where, the, uh, where they had all those discussions for so long between the North and the South, and the American representatives were there, and the North Korean representatives were there. And I preached at an American uh, army base there to some missionaries. And Samuel Moffat, the great uh, missionary, was present uh, at one of the services. And Dr. Moffat later, I think he uh, came back and has taught for the last several years at Princeton Seminary. Uh, he gave the lectures last, the, and I believe last spring at King College. He's a great Christian. And Sam Moffat told an interesting thing. He told about one of the men that he had become familiar with who was in the uh, American uh, military uh, mission that had to deal with the North Koreans. And for some reason, he had to go all the way to the capital of North Korea. And one of the most backward, obscurantist, tyrannical communist regimes in the whole world where fierce hostility was directed toward any Westerner. And he said that he could feel the hatred that was there. But one night as he was coming out of a meeting on the street with North Korean soldiers and with some American diplomatic people and military people, he said that uh, a person on the street, near where he came by, glanced up and the tune to what a friend we have in Jesus. He said the North Koreans, of course, didn't know anything about the tune or what it meant. But he glanced at the other person and the other person glanced at him and there was established a communication right away. The touch that healed. The preaching of the word of God, bringing into our minds and hearts God's truth. The blessing depends upon the presence of Christ. And we can 
touch him here this day for whatever we need most in our lives. And he can bring to us the healing that we need for our marriage, for our attitude. I'm sure that he brings healing for our bodies. This is what this is brought out here. But it must be a touch in faith. And then he will lead us further. A woman touched him. And she was healed. And she thought she was healed by touching that robe. And he wanted her to know that it wasn't just the superstitious. Now, Lloyd Douglas wrote a whole book on the robe. And later, just sometime later, Jesus will be nailed on a cross. And some callous soldiers will take some dice and roll the dice to see who gets the robe of Jesus. And as far as we know, none of those soldiers who got the robe, and it may have been the very same robe that this woman touched, will be healed or changed by that robe. And he doesn't want her to be superstitious. I've got on a pair of shoes this morning that were Billy Graham shoes. But they don't make me an elegant preacher or a powerful preacher. But once the president gave me one of his shirts, he didn't give it to me, I had to mail it back to him, uh, uh, because uh, I was there and they had to have a press conference, have a clean shirt, and I had to stay overnight. But I didn't feel any smarter because I had the president's shirt on. You see, he doesn't want us to think that there is something in a fetish, something in a relic, that will make that thing do it. The faith has to be in him as a person. Now this doesn't mean that symbols do not have a service, because they do have a service. The symbol of oil is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. The water for cleansing in baptism. The bread and the wine in communion. These are symbols, but they are meant to portray what faith can believe and lay hold on in agreement with God's promises. And when we do lay hold upon him, he clarifies what has been vague and marginal, and he makes it direct and immediate and powerful in our lives. And that's what I love so much. Let me speak a word about why he didn't let her go unnoticed. She was evidently a modest person. She would have had to have been because of the nature of the trouble that she had. And we're tempted to think it would have been quieter just to let her slip away again like the widow who gave her mites and put it into the temple that day. But Jesus refused to let her go because he wanted her to know that instead of just getting a cure, that she had a friend. She could sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Don't go to him just to get what you can get out of him, but he gives you himself. That's so much more important. Heaven and earth will pass away. He will not pass away. Your health may be restored but it'll go away again. 
but he can bring something that will remedy that condition. His compassion brings to you salvation, and salvation lasts forever. So he requires of us a confession. She wanted, he wanted her to know that she was not cured by magic. He accepts her imperfect faith, and he makes it better. And now she is sure of Jesus. She came trembling before him because, you know, she had made him ceremonially unclean by touching him. And she was trembling. And Jesus assures her the only time in all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, in all the words of Jesus that he ever uses the word daughter is here. Later, when he raises Jairus' daughter, he says, little maid, arise. But here, Jesus uses the word daughter in an affection for this woman who was unclean. He wanted her to be given a title and a dignity that comes to her as a believer in him. And we, when we come to him and learn to love him, don't have to be afraid that because we've sinned against him that he won't accept us and make us what we ought to be, because he will. He'll take us where we are. Don't wait till you're better. That's why I love that him just as I am. That's the only way any of us can ever come to Jesus. That's just as we are. D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, was preaching over in England during the time in which children were exploited uh, as chimney sweeps. The uh, cruel people would sometimes take little children and put briny water on their uh, flesh, to their skin, to make it tough, and they lowered them down chimneys and made chimney sweeps out of them. And there were people who kidnapped them, sort of like the Milgren plague that exists now, and they would take them into strange sections of London and Mr. Moody told of, of one person who had been taken and made into a little band of urchins that were used as chimney sweeps. And then through some mix-up later, this person was let down in a chimney into his own house where he had been born. And when he came out of the chimney all smutty and dirty and looked around, there was an air of familiarity about it all to him. And his mother came into the room who had prayed for the recovery of her little boy. Well, there was some sort of communication that took place when their eyes met each other. Do you think the mother said to him, you go into the bathroom and wash yourself, and then I'll take you? Mr. Moody said that she grabbed the dirty little street urchin and hugged him to herself because she knew she had her boy. And so the Lord takes us. He takes us as we are, and he makes us what we ought to become for him. That requires a confession on our part, but that's cleansing, and that makes things straight with the Lord. A few weeks ago, there came to Montreat someone special to see some of us here. It had been a long, long time since she had been in Montreat. Meg Barnhouse.
came. Years ago, her father had been a teacher here in this school, and he had worked also for Dr. Billy Graham. But she wanted to talk with me about her grandfather, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse Sr., a crusty old Bible teacher who was a great scholar and a great preacher. He was the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for years and years. I once heard Dr. Barnhouse tell this story. He said that after having preached 12 times one week during World War II, that he was driving near Pensacola, Florida, and his car uh, blew a tire. The tires were not very good during World War II, and the, there was a blowout on the road. And Dr. Barnhouse said he got out of the car and looked at the road, at the tire all flat and thought he ached and he was so tired from having driven uh, several hundred miles that day. And he saw a jeep coming and he flagged the jeep down. And he said a stronger, healthier young man got out of the uh, jeep. And he said this man, uh, he offered the man uh, a good amount of money and said, would you uh, fix my tire for me? And the fellow was very glad to get the extra money. And so they opened the trunk of the car and started to unload some books that were in the back of the car, and the man could tell they were Christian books. And he said to Dr. Barnhouse, uh, he said his wife was a religious woman, that she went to the Baptist church way. And Dr. Barnhouse, who was a great man to witness to people, said to him, what about you? What do you think about Jesus Christ? And the man answered very indifferently. He didn't think about religion. But he bent down to fix the tire, and while he was fixing the tire, his dog came up. A yellow dog, just a cur dog, but the dog was very affectionate to this young man, nuzzled up against him while he was getting out his tools and while he was taking off the tire. And Dr. Barnhouse noticed this, and he said, that dog seems to think a lot of you. And he looked back and Dr. Barnhouse, and he said, I think a lot of this dog. He said, there isn't a thing in the world I wouldn't do for this dog. And Dr. Barnhouse said, why? And he said, that dog saved my life. He said, once in the swamps here, I got into quicksand, and I was miles away from anyone that could have ever heard me. I realized what had happened. I flung myself backwards in an effort to keep from being sucked under by the terrible quicksand and scream for help. He said, out of nowhere, that yellow dog came up. And he said, by getting my arms around his haunches, that dog strained and pulled, and I got out of the quicksand and was saved from a terrible death. And Dr. Barnhouse said, suppose down at the store where the filling station is, someone should kick that dog, what would you do? And Barnhouse said the young man looked back at him with a ferocity in his face that you could believe what he said. He said, mister, I'd kill him. And he said, well, you know, you think a lot of a cur dog that helped you out of quicksand. But when I mentioned Jesus, who died on the cross for you, you dismissed that as though it never had happened. And he said, did you know that he died on the cross for you 
so that you would be saved from something worse than quicksand, so that you would be saved from hell for all eternity. And it cost him. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He said to the man, said, do you mind if I take one of these Bibles instead of the money? And Barnell said, I want you to take both of them. The man told him, he said, you know, my wife's going to be surprised when I go home because I'm going to church with her tomorrow. I've got something that I've got to do there. Well, what he had to do at the church was to confess his faith in the Lord. So our condition without the Savior is helpless. But the Savior's compassion comes and saves us. But that requires in us a confession that we belong to him and that by his grace we're going to live for his glory. Let us bow in prayer. The healing of his seamless is by our beds of pain. We touch him in life's throng and press, and we are whole again. And so, our Father, we pray that we, through touching the Lord Jesus, may know the wholeness which you bring to us, and that you will bless us that we might be enabled by the Holy Spirit to bear a good and clear testimony for him as his good and faithful servants amongst all with whom we shall come in contact this day and forever. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with us all now and forevermore.